0: Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. With SNL at home off for the summer, the time has come for us to dig into the digital exclusive sketches that never made it to air and determine which one is the best of the rest. I'm Katherine Coleman, and with me as always is Steve Finn and John Murray. If you'd like to connect with any of us, you can do so at snlpodcast.com. Enjoy the following selected highlights from this week's discussion if you'd like to hear our full-length ad-free episode, it's available exclusively for our patrons at patreon.com snlpodcast. It's our patrons who make the cast possible, and we are so thankful to everyone who's already come on board. To learn more, go to patreon.com snlpodcast. All right, here we go. So, guys, this week, we're going to tackle the first half of those Cut for Time sketches over our three at-home episodes. We had about 15 uh, digital exclusives.
1: Yeah, they turned out a lot.
0: They did. Uh, So we're going to do about eight of them tonight, and then we'll be back to cover the last seven. And we'll have the links to those in the show notes, of course. So if you haven't checked them out, be sure to go on and, and watch them before you listen to our reviews. And, of course, let us know your thoughts. And, John, I think we have some patrons to thank. Is that right? That's
1: correct. We don't have any patrons that we can thank by name, but we had a number of suspiciously named new patrons come in over the last little while, many of them with the last name Finn. So I can only assume that this is some sort of power move on Steve's part to ensure job security, but nonetheless. There's no relation. Yeah, of course not. What did we get about a half a dozen people with last name Finn from... Newfoundland. So I don't know. I'm going to connect some dots here. Those are
2: my offshore accounts.
1: Uh, something's afoot. But nonetheless, we've had some people step in and support the show. And of course, we love every one of our patrons, named and unnamed. So uh, we we thank all the little Steve Acolytes up on the Eastern Seaboard. And uh, we appreciate your support.
0: All right. Well, let's dive into these uh, Cut for Time sketches. All right. Let's do it. Up uh, first, Bruce Chandling has a very Bruce Chandling movie audition. Steve, how do you feel about it? Well, you know,
2: I liked it as far as any Bruce Chandling outing goes. And keep in mind, I'm a pretty big fan of Bruce. But I don't know if we've lost or gained anything in this comedy short version of Bruce Chandling, as opposed to a weekend update guest. I guess it tells us that you know he's not wasting any potential being used on Weekend Update, but also means maybe we've seen everything we can comedy beat wise from Bruce Chandling. But hey, Kyle's just such a great performer. You know, I still had fun with it. It was really great. Had some good lines.
0: Yeah. So something that I think we've talked about a lot in these at-home episodes is how interesting it is that we've gotten to see a few Weekend Update characters come out from behind the desk, Mm -hmm. mostly. And those have been a pretty rousing success, uh, Bailey Gizmert especially. Yeah. It was interesting with this one. I watched it. And like you, Steve, I just kind of felt like I'm not sure that we gained anything by pulling him out. I'm not as big of a Bruce Chandling fan. I think he's, he's fine. He's, I don't dislike him. I don't love him, but yeah, just something was missing. It wasn't quite all there for me. John, what'd you think?
1: I think I would tend to agree. They had actually attempted to take Bruce Chandling off the desk at one point, And I think it was a pre-tape and I think it ended up getting cut for time. I don't think that ever made it to the internet or anything. That tracks. Um, but, Bruce Chandling was a character that Kyle's had. So, you know, they adapted it for the desk, but he's comfortable just doing it, you know, in any space, in any scenario. So it, it does seem like it, it's an obvious thing for him to go to if they were going to try and adapt something for the at-home shows. Um, but like you guys, uh, I, I don't think that we saw anything new here, right? It, it's the same basic beats. the The one thing that I noticed was I find it less impactful to watch bruce chandling when it's not quite as much of a a high wire act like when he's at the desk on live tv and you know that this character is built to attempt to sort of lose the audience and then see if he can regain them and then lose the audience and kind of walk that line of cringe and having people check out and getting so uncomfortable that they can't embrace a character like because it's kind of daring in a, a live situation I just didn't find it quite as impactful to watch it here where you've got some editing and, you know, they're they're kind of doing this, you know, slow, uh, you know, zoom in on him to punctuate these little emotional breakdowns that he has. And like, they're doing some, some flourishes to try and give it some life. But to me, it's just not as exciting to watch as when he's doing it live. And it's, it's just the feeling of, of someone intentionally going out to bomb and, and, uh, you know, the, the sort of Andy Kaufman quality of that, that I really like. So I don't know. This, this was very forgettable for me.
0: So overall we can take or leave Bruce. Yeah,
1: Middle of the road stuff.
0: All right. Next up, Michigan's governor has some tips for her protesters. John, we'll start with you this time.
1: I've seen a lot of the real uh, Gretchen Whitmer on my TV screen because uh, most of our local stations we pull in from Detroit. So we're kind of close to how, you know, COVID and uh, all the craziness surrounding that has impacted Michigan. So I'm very familiar with her. So getting to see Cecily's take on it, I, I think was fun, maybe more amusing for me than it would be for some that maybe haven't seen as many Gretchen Whitmer press conferences. Uh, I, I think I can just sum up her performance basically as a Tina Fey take on Sarah Palin yes. uh, translated into Gretchen Whitmer. Like It's just very much that super folksy, Midwestern, hey-dear-ho-dear kind of accent. <laughs> So, I mean, I'm not going to call it like a super sharp impression or anything like that, but fun enough because if anyone isn't familiar with Michigan, they're just going to take it as, you know, one of those Midwestern states. So everybody kind of sounds like they're in Fargo. (laughs) So for that, that was amusing. Like I do kind of like the idea that that's, you know, how people would see Gretchen Whitmer. I thought it was sharply written enough. Like there was a few good zingers in there and a few clever turns of phrase. So there was some stuff to like, but you know, just again, very middle of the road stuff amusing, but I I can totally understand why this didn't make it into one of the live shows. Cause I I think we saw much stronger material And and from Cecily as well.
0: Yeah, not as familiar with Gretchen Whitmer, but, um, I remember she was in the news around that time. So I got sort of the joke. Now coming back to it, I don't remember as much of what was going on. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's a good sketch and it's, it's pretty funny. Like you said, it's got some good stuff, but it, it wasn't especially biting. They didn't, right. I don't feel like they fully had something to say with it, which is maybe why it ultimately ended up getting cut. Yeah. So I enjoyed Cecily's take on it. I thought she did a great job with it but just sort of again, middle of the road stuff.
1: Yep. Yep.
2: Steve, you know, I thought it was good. Like John said, I thought the writing was pretty sharp in places. It was a nice little kind of backhanded uh, (laughs) monologue. Yes. From Cecily here. And, uh, you know, I had some fun with it. I liked the fact that she took advantage of her pilgrimage into the woods, uh, in her cabin there and gave it a really folksy feel, which with help of what they were going for there. And, uh, it, it had some really good lines you know the tips of of guns uh <laughs> touching the ak-47s yeah, <laughs> right good. all good stuff and though i'm not a labats person it was nice to see uh beer <laughs> shout out i'm more of a molson guy
1: so yeah for anyone who doesn't know that's a, a canadian beer brewed not too far from where i live so yeah prolific around michigan for anyone that doesn't like the the piss water that passes for beer in the united states so uh yeah in
2: london i believe
1: yes yeah uh yeah fun enough <laughs> At least, at least, you know, there's a a little uh, wink to Canada, if nothing else to take away from
0: this. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So moving right along, Beck welcomes Architectural Digest on a tour of his lovely home. Steve, how'd you feel about it? Well,
2: it was pretty funny. I think a lot of our homes are looking like this right about now uh, with uh, (laughs) maybe some inexplicable tape on the window. And uh, (laughs) we're all just trying to get through that songwriting process, I'm sure. I, yeah, I thought this was fun. Beck is a really funny tour guide, and I've always enjoyed him in that role when he takes the lead on things. And obviously, when you're working at home, you got to take, you got to be willing to take the lead. So, yeah, I, I, I actually would have liked to see this in the show proper.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't hate to see this again. I think it's a really clever idea to parody this. You know, I watch a lot of these architectural digest videos, and it's sort of like this weird modern day fancy cribs. Right. They, they nailed sort of the parody aspect of that. And it was a great juxtaposition because you see these beautiful homes that are, of course, immaculate and gorgeous. And no one actually lives like that. There's always going to be a little mess in the corner, you know? <laughs> so I appreciated that, especially I have a husband who uh, is a very cleanly person and is always on me about tidying up and stuff. And I'm like, people know we live here. It's okay.
1: <laughs> Those are just boxes. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so I felt a little vindicated in seeing Beck's house being a little out of order. And yeah, I thought this, this was just a really clever idea. I really liked that they chose to do it.
1: For anyone who's wondering, that is actually Beck's house. So if if anyone thought that SNL cast members are living high on the hog and uh, <laughs> or that we should be jealous of their opulent lifestyle, you can just put those notions to rest. Because uh, yeah, Beck he's a he's a schlub.
0: Their walls are cracking around him <laughs> yeah, too.
1: That's the role he he plays on the show, and apparently he comes by it honestly. Because the <laughs> yeah you know, the guy has very very modest taste. But uh, yeah, this was fun. Uh, I was amused by it. I don't think I need to see it again, but I think if this had shown up in the show, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of, you know, uh, keeping pace with some of what we saw. A clever enough idea. Take what you got, right? He's, he's at home. What can we do with this? You know, uh, and how can I play up that kind of like, you know, every man, unpretentious quality that, that Beck can pull off? That was all working. I, I thought it was a fun enough piece. And, and he's very good at being sincere about all these like mundane things. Like, you know, this is, This is where we had the calendar and, you know, we gave up on trying to count the days. Now we just use it to store the puzzle pieces like that, that kind of mundane silliness. That was a very nice touch. It's probably just, you know, he's walking around, he's riffing on what's legitimately happening in his house because he's obviously not going to be bothered trying to clean it up for this. Like that, (laughs) that would ruin half of the satire. So yeah, just to see him take what he had to work with and spin something amusing that was working for me. I liked it.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, up next, Ego gives us some tips on how to safely receive packages during the pandemic. John,
1: I like Ego because she's a very natural improviser. You, you get the sense that this is kind of a little improv game. It's, it's one joke. She has one joke. The payoff is the only way to properly handle a package during COVID is just to set the thing on fire and put it outside (laughs) your door. That's, that's where she knows she's going to end up getting by the end Mm -hmm. of this. And it's fun to kind of just see her naturally get there and, and kind of stay in that character that said it's, it's a one joke sketch and it takes a little while to get there and there's not a whole lot going on. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was amusing enough the first time through, but I totally get why this didn't need to make it. We see three pieces from Ego uh, in our our roundup tonight. Uh, I think this is probably the weakest of the three.
0: Yeah, I'll agree with that. Ego is definitely a performer. She brought a lot of energy to all three of the things that we're going to see from her. Mm -hmm. And she was definitely enthusiastic about what she was giving us. (laughs) And it was funny. Um, I think if I saw this, on her Instagram, I would really love it, right? But as a piece for SNL, I think there just wasn't quite enough meat to it, and that's sure. probably why it ultimately got cut.
1: That's absolutely what it feels like. It, it yeah. feels like some of the Instagram live bits that they were doing before they ramped up the the proper SNL at home.
0: Yeah, yeah. so it, it's funny. It's not that it's bad. It's just not quite not enough to it for me. Yep, Steve.
2: Well, I tell you, it's. I do agree with the whole how it's you know one setup, one punchline, and. What makes that so daring is that, you know, Ego has to make this seem very genuine or mm-hmm. else the joke's not going to land. The fact that I watched this and could actually buy it as a real YouTube show. <laughs> she, uh, she gets the performance behind that. And you could see Ego having her own. Uh, YouTube channel and being pretty successful with it. <laughs> she knows how to uh, tune into that. So that is what made this work because we actually felt like this was actually going somewhere. And right. when it didn't go anywhere and <laughs> we, and we uh, revealed the punchline, that's why we're laughing because it was sold well. So that <laughs> setup there was more important than ever, even though the outcome might be a little bit simple.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good observation. And that the joke is that you do feel like it has the potential to have three full beats of doing something crazy with this package and then it is just nope
1: we're gonna throw it away mm. yeah i I think this is a good performance but in service of very little uh yeah. but i i agree with with you steve i wouldn't fault ego's ability to really hold the character and keep her you know her energy and just there's a naturalness to it so you're, you're right the the delivery the presentation is, is spot on uh i just would have liked to see something a little funnier underpinning it
0: yeah well on that note that's Look at Ego's next sketch, yeah. Got a lot more Ego to
1: cover. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Up next, we have Ego sharing her questionable cooking skills. Steve, did you like this one too?
2: I've enjoyed it as part of some kind of unofficial series of these. <laughs> right. say. This is arguably the same character doing another episode of the same show. It's very similar. I would say it doesn't land quite as well, maybe because I'd seen the first one uh, already, and this was so similar that, Whatever it was going to do for me already did it. You know, I I chuckled, but I didn't feel this was a home run of an idea. But hey, it was well executed for what it was.
0: Yeah, I I don't remember which one of these two I watched first the first time I saw them. So that's interesting because I liked this one better. I thought it had a little bit more to it. I guess I felt like it was a little bit funnier and more of a logical premise because part of what kind of slowed me down on the last one was like, well, why did you order it? Um, <laughs> but whereas this one's like yeah i can't cook either let's make some salt soup so i really liked this one again Ego brought the energy i really liked her ladle joke so i felt like she was able to pepper in a few more small jokes in this one than she was with the package no pun intended on the peppering yeah and uh <laughs> yeah I, I liked this one better but it still feels like an instagram bit it's not a fully snl sketch
2: You know what it was? I kind of saw it coming, you know, what the reveal was going to be, where she was taking so much time. Make sure you stir the water. (laughs) It it seemed pretty obvious that water was going to be the main ingredient to whatever this was. (laughs) So yeah, maybe that's the difference for me.
0: Maybe. What'd you think, John?
1: The idea here that this is effectively a cooking show, I think is a little stronger than the first one. The first one, like she gets the package and you're kind of right that, you know, the fact that she doesn't even open the package, it's it's a little deflating in a way because I I think there could have been some solid jokes in what you're ordering during COVID. Like what are the Mm -hmm. emergency supplies or what bizarre things is she buying to maybe satiate certain human needs during (laughs) lockdown? Like there were so many places you could have gone to build in more jokes in the first one that when that doesn't happen, it feels a little weaker with this. We're so familiar with how a cooking show works where they do have to give you instructions for every little step. So it doesn't seem weird. That she's saying, you know, like we're going to look and we're going to see what we got in the cupboard and we got this and what can we do with this and the fact that she's kind of holding your hand through this whole process and there's so many steps to simply come up <laughs> with salt water, it's it, it just works a little bit better with what our expectations are of a makeshift COVID cooking show. Right. So it, it's just a little bit stronger in the the setup and. Even though it's still basically one joke and it's just ego saying, Okay, I, I know what the joke is, I know where I'm going with this, so now I'm just gonna have fun getting there because I'm a performer and I can I can do this. This is my skill set. So because it's effectively the same thing as the first one, I do feel like this one's a little bit stronger, but like I alluded to before, uh, we have three Ego outings tonight. This I don't feel was the high watermark. There is one that I feel is far more memorable and I think we'll get to that in due time. Yeah.
0: Well, let's let the suspense build yes, on that yeah. and let's uh divert our attention for a minute. <laughs> To uh, the message to the girls. Prom may be canceled, but the boys are here to let us know what would have gone down. (laughs) John, how'd you feel about it?
1: Oh, I feel like this is just dripping with Anna goodness.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: This is a total win. It's surprising that it didn't make it in because I feel like this is one topic that they didn't hit too hard in the Mm -hmm. actual shows. I don't know which week this was produced for, but there was one week of the at-home editions where... It was just very bizarre. And in the back half, it's just like they were throwing anything they had idea wise at the wall. And so I kind of feel like this could have grounded a show like that. That was mm-hmm. just kind of a more bizarre. Um, like I always use the term like a fever dream kind of take yeah. on sketch comedy, something like this, I think could have pulled it kind of back into the realm of SNL and made that back half a little more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, that said it may not have been produced for that week. So who knows? This was good. This was really good. It plays up something that is on the minds of a lot of people uh, with, graduations and everything being done on zoom and problems being canceled. Of course, this is something that you have to talk about and what a perfect vehicle for Anna and her crew, because they, they take the little truisms that they know from their own personal experiences. They find the funny and then they have two great performers that just know how to milk that stupidity for all it's worth. (laughs) We get all the, the glorious bad green screening stuff Mm -hmm. and you know, the editors are having a field day with it. So everything about this I felt was working really good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's our Kate and Eighty duo written by, exactly. it has to be Dresden and Gates. No one else wrote this. (laughs) I haven't fact checked it and I don't need to. (laughs) And we have a visual joke as soon as it starts out, you know, they look ridiculous. I love it. I'm into it. And they're using that green screen to its maximum cheesiness, just like they did. I think it was the grocery store ad. Right,
1: right. Where they're not interacting quite right. Right. Like they're not quite composited, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Kate and Eighty have a feel for that awkward comedy in those visual cues. And I think, you know, like once they got the hang of using those green screens, they understood how to make that part of the joke. Yeah. And they did a really good job with it. And then as always, we get a lot of really great specifics, but as Anna Dresden always gives us with stuff like we should be in a hotel ballroom right now. And my hands right. would be so sweaty that your dress would change <laughs> yeah. color. So just some great jokes in here. And I really liked this. I'm surprised that it got cut.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think this would have been great on the show. It definitely would have made, A lot of people in their 30s maybe cringe (laughs) at uh, thinking back to some of the (laughs) choices they made around this time in their lives. But I thought Kate Nady killed it with this. I just like the idea so much. You know, it's, of course, going to be a lot easier to talk about how it would have went down instead of actually (laughs) doing it. So the clueless confidence that these guys have is is the real treat to Mm -hmm. all of this. And yeah, that's what I enjoyed about it. It had a good heart. Yep. Yeah. As for the whole aesthetic of it, this is what I would call professional amateurism.
1: Mm-hmm. Like right. it's
2: supposed to be wacky and crazy editing, but it's it's clearly done by an actual editor.
1: Right. Yeah. It, it's supposed to harken back to the idea that like maybe some kids in the AV department at the high school actually put this thing <laughs> together. Like you know they're yeah. they're they it's it's got rough edges by design, and that helps with the joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Right. I mean, they have Kyle on the cast who really captures that aesthetic so many times in a lot of his shorts Mm. where he's playing like a high school student or (laughs) uh, those openings to the Kyle on the street segments. That is, you know, actual, an amateurish look. (laughs) Seeing some of that would have been welcome for me. But other than that, I I thought it was a good time.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that one sounds like a a rousing success. Yes, absolutely. Up next we have a parody of ESPN's The Last Dance documentary featuring Kim Jong-un's thoughts on the 90s bulls.
2: Steve? I thought it was good. I have come to like the characterization of Kim Jong-un that Bowen does. This is my new go-to performance for the <laughs> political figure, for sure. Uh, I just like you know, what he's done with it, made it kind of a, a spoiled frat bro with a bit of <laughs> uh, sass. I think it's perfect for the whole nepotism of his circumstance and (laughs) what little we know about him as a figure. This is a great way to fill that in and make a comedic character. I don't know if the other cast members were that well utilized. Everybody seemed to have a straight role to play rather than just using footage from the actual documentary, which would have given the same feel. It seems, I guess they just wanted a reason to have more faces involved with this. Hmm. So yeah, this was mostly a, a bow and Yang. Solo vehicle with a little bit of support, but not much by a few friends. I did think it was enjoyable. Yeah, I thought it was a good time.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good thing to kind of point out is that the joke is that it's Kim Jong Un's thoughts, right? And he doesn't belong in this documentary. But they didn't put him in there a whole lot, you know, and they had sort of these other characters they were using that could have easily just been scenes from the documentary. So I wonder if there was supposed to be something else happening that ended up getting cut. It felt sort of incomplete to me. It was funny. I liked it. I think, you know, Bowen did a great job. It was a fun thing to kind of pull up those similarities with like him and Vince Rodman. But yeah, I felt like, yeah, it just wasn't, it was missing something to me. Like I felt like Hmm. something either I missed it or they cut it or they lost something. I don't know. Uh, John, how did you feel?
1: I didn't get a sense that, you know, it was lacking in any way. I thought it was pretty well-rounded. I'm assuming that, uh, the reason why the other cast members were there it was what it was Mikey and Chloe right where mm-hmm. also uh, I
0: thought like there was maybe one more, but definitely those oh two. Chris Red
1: was in there too oh yeah, I think they were in the mix basically as like connective tissue so mm-hmm. that they could forward the narrative in a way that when they cut back to kim jong un he 's commenting on something that they basically set up, so they 're basically they're- a volley. For him Mm -hmm. to basically, you know, land a joke. I didn't have a problem with seeing them or feeling they were underutilized because I assumed that they were all part of the setup. You know, introducing the general manager whatever that was embroiled in controversy, it it allows them to frame the discussion around that character and then Bowen takes it and runs with it and points out, you know, you Mm -hmm. you never (laughs) want to give attention to the chunky little guy that wants to make it all about him or whatever. This was fine. I I thought that the way it was handled made a lot of sense. I'm imagining there's tons that was on the editing room floor. I, I think that that's probably how this works is they, you know, they, they gather as much as they can and then the editors just try and sort it out. So there's going to be some things that aren't really that organic, but I felt like the the finished product worked pretty well. And, uh, you know, we've always given high marks to, to Bowen, uh, especially when he's doing these snarky characters like that's <laughs> That's definitely his, uh, his gift to the world. I just really like that we're revisiting Kim Jong-un because I could be wrong, but I think that in the season before Bowen was a cast member, was this not the first on screen role that he played like effectively as a background version, Kim Jong-un? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah.
2: We saw him as himself in a in the background of a of a sketch.
1: Yeah, he may have been a news reporter or something, you know, just taking up a chair or something somewhere along the lines. But I think that this was maybe the first time we had him in character. And mm-hmm. it was kind of something that a lot of people latched onto and said, Well, SNL, there's your Asian cast mm-hmm. member right there because he's already a known quantity from his podcast and all the rest of it. So I kind of just like that we're revisiting that character and now he's able to take the snarky trade daddy character uh, from mm-hmm. update and he's able to apply that same kind of magic to right. the Kim Jong-un that we've already seen him as. Uh, so I liked it because it, to me it felt like uh, he's getting to revisit the character that kind of put him on the map in a way. Mm-hmm. And I thought the, you know, the scenario of weaving it all into this documentary made a lot of sense. It gave him a lot of footage to work from. I thought this was good. I thought this was another highlight for the night.
0: This was good. I guess I just wanted to see ultimately more of mm. Bowen. If that's going to be the joke of it, I want to I see him more frequently than we ultimately did. Sure. But yeah, of course he sold it. I love seeing him getting to put his voice a little more on it than he'd got to first yep. time. All right. Now all of that nonsense aside, let's get back to <laughs> Ego yep. and let's look at mommy blogger Denise avoiding her kids at all costs. John, did you relate to this a lot?
1: I'm sure my wife did. Uh <laughs> like if I'm going to be perfectly honest, she's the one that's pulling her hair out, you know, with the the overwhelmed momming scenario here during COVID. This I think was the high water mark for ego for the night. This was something she could really bite her teeth into. Uh, the just the the frantic energy that she brings to it of hiding from her children and just, you know, being At her wits end and on the verge of a breakdown, she sold all that incredibly well. There was a lot more specifics that she could bring into her dialogue that was a lot more fun and a lot of truth there for a lot of viewers of SNL. So I think that this was easily the strongest that we got from Ego tonight. And uh, I I thought it worked just fine. This is something that I think could have made it into the show. I I think that it was as good as a a lot of what we saw in the show. So yeah, this this I think was a very worthwhile outing. And uh, I thought Ego did a, a marvelous job.
0: Yeah, this was definitely the most full of her yes. three pieces. This one was a full sketch it had more going for it than the last two. And of course, you know, she performed it and then we had some extra features going on. I think we had Keenan's voice in the background a little bit.
1: Yeah, and they dubbed in kids and stuff so that mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, the zombies are at the door kind of thing just to keep that <laughs> that frantic energy up.
0: Right. And I love anything I think making fun of the mommy blogger personality type. Um wow, mm-hmm. that's my kind of <laughs> joke that's right up my alley. So I really liked this one. I thought it was really great she had that frantic energy i liked the the pasta joke that they came back to right this was a win for me and some good specifics in there too
2: probably my favorite from ego as well yeah yeah this is in the same vein as some of the other stuff like let kids drink right uh, mm-hmm. very similar subject matter this is a little bit more real there's not as much comfort in turning the whole thing into a musical <laughs> <laughs> this is great and ego's performance made this work so well She didn't quite play it right at the brink Uh, at times she did, but she dialed it back and made it really bubble. Well, Mm -hmm. this was, (laughs) this was something I could buy as, as genuine (laughs) uh, mega stress, but it was still laughable. So it was that, that fine line of of comedy and, and too real to laugh at. So (laughs) yeah, that takes some skill. Ego took a big risk with this and it paid off for sure. Yep. This was good.
0: All right. Well, Ending on a high note there. We're mm-hmm. happy with that go at the end. So let's look over those those first eight that we looked at tonight. Which of these first eight digital exclusives were the best of the rest? Steve?
2: I think the Governor Whitmer sketch was probably really? the best.
0: Interesting.
2: <laughs> I just really enjoyed Cecily's performance. I thought she had some really great lines. The, the kids showing up at the end and their little fights was a good way to finish the whole sketch. Plus everything we talked about, you know, I thought this was probably the most fun. I guess it was just the claustrophobia of these at-home sketches. Something that was actually set outside felt nice. (laughs) Yeah, it was nice to open it up a bit, I guess. But yeah, this would probably be my
1: favorite. Very interesting. I was not expecting that.
0: (laughs) Me neither. John, what was yours?
1: Oh, no contest. It's the prom one. For my money, there was nothing that was more jam-packed with clever lines fun visuals, totally appropriately terrible performances. <laughs> you know, like I, I think the direction must've just been, uh, Kate Nady, your you're worse Justin Bieber. That's what <laughs> we're going for here. You know, because they're trying to be all all smooth, uh, but they can't pull it off. There was so much to like in there. And because this is one where they obviously handed it to a capable editor to really milk it and punch it up. I, I just feel like it w- it was just the most entertaining and the most engrossing outing for the night. Nothing else I think comes close personally except for maybe the ESPN one. But I think that this was definitely tops.
0: Yeah. I, um I thought it was either the momming with Denise mm, yeah. or the uh, message for the girls. And I'm going to give it to the message to the girls. Um, I think it definitely of these eight felt the most like something that should have been on the show and yeah. could have been on the show and wouldn't have felt weird. Like if we look at those, those first two ego ones, if they put it in the show, it might've felt a little jarring because they were so short and so quick. Yep. Whereas this one really felt whole. It felt complete. It was a fully produced sketch. And if they put it in there, it would have been totally fine. And I think it was the funniest, you know, I'm a little biased towards a Kate eighty duo with Anna Dresden and Allison Gates. They pretty much always win for me, but this one was really great. I really liked it a whole lot.
1: So we're agreed. Steve's wrong. We're
0: agreed. Steve is objectively <laughs> wrong as usual. What else is new? Uh,
2: Just you wait. We'll see who's wrong. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Uh Oh, ominous words. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's a wrap. Thanks to Steve Finn and John Murray. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Neil Weinstein, Justin Gardner, Carissa Eubank, Aaron Intrader, and Brian Clark. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow and your support is greatly appreciated. We'll be back soon to cover the remaining seven SNL at Home digital exclusive sketches. But until then, this has been episode number 112 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm Catherine Coleman. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it.